stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach, senior equity strategist and the editor of the Taser uh, portfolio and the healthcare innovator portfolio, Kevin Cook, to discuss the hottest topic right now in investing to start 2020, and that's this hot stock market. The 2019 rally has continued into 2020, and it's having a lot of people ask me this question, is this a bubble or are we just in a normal bull market? So Kevin and I thought we would tackle this subject and try to look into what the psychology is and what investors are thinking right now because a lot of these hot stocks are remaining pretty hot here. We're still seeing, Kevin, nearly every day, like it, it seems like a new group of the growth stocks hits new highs. I see like new lists of, oh, Tesla's at a high one day and then Facebook is now the next. And then just recently, Alphabet was hitting a new high, Chipotle. We had Visa and MasterCard hitting new highs. I don't know. I'm losing track now of everybody yeah. that's hitting the new highs on the growth side. And so, NVIDIA. yes, uh, uh, several of the semiconductors are back. The, has Apple hit 300 yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Apple's at the new highs. It's busting out, continuing to uh, trend higher. Microsoft, we could go on and on, right, mm -hmm. of all these names. And so this is where I'm getting the questions of this seems too hot and it seems... Is it over? Yeah. And is this the bubble? It's going to bust like 1999 <clears throat> and it's all going to be horrible again. So... So what say you? <laughs> well, my first response to somebody who's asking that, and and um, and I assume they're asking because they're they probably got some skin in the game, you know, they're yeah. either an investor or a trader, or they moved to the sidelines already. I think. Yeah, and I would say my first thing is it's not over. Okay. And the reason I can confidently, very confidently, say it's not over is because of a at least two factors. Um, one. Um, this is bull markets, you know, they don't have an expiration date, right? Right. They can, nor do economic cycles. So we are currently in the longest economic expansion that the country has ever seen. You know, we crossed right. 120 months and 10 years, um, and, and, you know, the bull markets, uh, rolling on here. It's not as long, you know, like if you, if you call the last bull market 82 to 99, that's longer Yes, much um, longer. But, Where do you start this but the bull thing, market? Yeah, but the thing is, that's is, the question is, too. Is, that gets tricky, like uh, making that comparison, um, because there was a recession in you know there was you know 80, in that bull market eighty nine to ninety one that yeah. area. So, I mean, do, but you know, recessions don't necessarily <clears throat> stop bulls. That's that's true. Yeah, they usually do. Um, but I would say that um, that the historical pattern is that. You you end when either the economy goes into recession, um, or there's some you know catastrophic calamity, you know, like a world war, which you know we're, we're not seeing. Um, and then the other factor is that the Fed is backstopping this market, the Federal Reserve, and monetary policy is a consistent determinant of you know what happens in investment markets, and the Fed. Not only did they reverse the course of planning to hike four times in 2019, 
Um, they just told us basically there there is nothing in the forecast from the FOMC committee members that says they see themselves raising rates in 2020. I mean, to me, as soon as I heard that, that's like this market has a free pass to rally to S&P 3500 in the first half of 2020 before it starts worrying about the election. Like there's nothing really to worry about the election right now because there's there's too many unknowns, right? It will, you know, it'll save that for August or September. So right now, this market, like I said, has a free pass to go to S&P 3500 at least in the first half of the year. Okay, so since you brought up the Fed policy, that I feel is one of the talking points for those who believe that we're in a bubble already is because the central banks have put all the money into the system and they feel, you know, it appears that they have it under control, but what if they don't? Yeah. Well, and they, they, um, I would say they don't have it all under control and they don't pretend to. Okay. Cause it's definitely not a perfect science. Right. And they know that, and they know there are a lot of things out of their control. Um, the Fed reacted strongly in December of 2018 when the market uh, tanked. And if you don't remember that, um, the S&P went down 11% in seven trading days. Um, and it wasn't like this fast-moving panic. It was just like day after day selling. Yeah. And part of that was driven by that the market perceived the Fed as very hawkish, raising rates. But the credit markets were starting to really gyrate, and and credit spreads blew out like junk quality credit. All of a sudden, you had to pay a lot, you know, more to borrow, and that was seen as like a potentially systemic shock to the system. Um, and and the Fed backed off of that. So, um, well, what was your question again about the Fed? Well, whether or not they're putting the oh, fuel yeah, no. on for the oh bubble. right right right. What they they are, but I I was saying that they don't know everything, right? So they made an adjustment over a year ago and then have consistently uh, erred on the side of being dovish, just like the Bernanke Fed was and then the Yellen Fed, where lots of transparency. We're going to let you know what we're doing. We're going to let you know what we think and why we want to see inflation. And and the Bernanke Fed and the Yellen Fed both pushed for that. They both kept rates low to try and get inflation. And when the economy hicked up, hiccuped in 2015, we had the, the energy you know, uh, sort of mini recession, definitely in energy, but it almost caused it did cause an earnings recession for the S and P five hundred. Yeah, um, the Fed backed off again and and eased more and started buying more bonds again, doing the quantitative easing. Uh, you know, so now they're in this position where hey, we don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to err on the side of let let's finally get this inflation that we want. Let's you know let's because we want to see it for wage work you know wage earners and. This is very typical of the of the later stage, the late cycle bull market, where um, you know you you finally get inflation, wages finally rise, corporations have done really well, and there there's nothing really to derail it. Um, we've seen you know we've got ISM manufacturing below fifty, which is you know for five months now, yeah, which is contraction. But then we have to remember it's. it's you know, fifteen percent of the economy. Not even anymore. Yeah, well, it's it, like ten now. It depends when you look at the linkages. When you really okay. look at all the linkages, linkages, I could just call it fifteen percent. But, but yeah, and then ISM Services is back up to fifty-five today. Yeah, so it's a good number. Um, is the Fed? I mean, what, that's the other thing is that not only did the Fed say they're on hold, but they're they're on hold until they see the whites of 
the eyes of inflation, right? And so to me, and that's asset inflation. So that goes into stocks, that could go into housing, that could go into a lot of things. Um, right. And and are there are there are there small bubbles? Well, you could say that, hey, there's this bubble where part of what drove the stock market higher was corporations borrowing at one percent to buy back their own stock. Right. Is that a big problem? Some people think it is. I'm not so sure. I mean, I'm not against buybacks. So, you know, if 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 a corporation decided that they could borrow at 1% to buy back their stock, um, it doesn't mean that they're not investing in their business. It just means that that's what shareholders want. And it's kind of the, it's kind of the mechanics of the market that it's not going away. You know, we're not going to outlaw it and it's just it's just part of the playing field. Um now look at our national debt. People would say, "Well, now that's a, definitely a bubble." You know, we've you know now we've got a trillion dollar deficit this year or last year, and um, yeah, there this stuff is going to creep up. I don't, but I don't think that a fuse is lit and it's all going to blow up this year. Okay, I had to consult with the Bible of bubbles when I started getting these questions, and I it did dawn on me we have done a podcast about bubbles yeah, we in did. the past. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was 2017 is what? when we wow, did it. Wow, is that long ago? Yeah, okay. over two years ago, my my book came out at that time too. But that's when we had that you know quote unquote perfect market that kept just going up with little volatility, yeah, hitting yeah. new highs. People said we were in a bubble then, so we got the book out. And the book, of course, is Manias, Panics, and Crashes: A History of Financial Crises. It's the fourth edition by Charles Kindleberger, who unfortunately has passed away in the early 2000s I believe he did almost 20 years ago now so we don't we no longer have better updates although maybe mm-hmm. someone will take up the mantle yeah. and update it again I hope so. um, but it's a great book to look at all of the history of what has gone on including like the tulips and all of that but I, I needed to consult it again because he does go over um, one example that could be helpful to us trying to figure out if, if this is a bubble in um, Japan, remember in the 1970s and 1980s, you did have quite a stock market boom in the um, Japanese market, and you had what most consider to be a bubble by the end of that market. So he talks about how in 1983, these are some of the signs about what was happening in Japan. There were 120 billion shares traded on their stock market. By 1989, just six years later, it was 280 billion shares. So more than doubled, almost tripled. Um, He also talks about how the real estate followed the stock boom, which you were just alluding to that the rise in several asset classes Mm -hmm. and and he talks about it in the book usually when you get a bubble in one area you're getting it in somewhere else because the it's it's uh loose money and the money is going to go more than one place which we also saw in the 1990s as well and then into the 2000s a little bit with the housing there so um he talks about real estate and says that the japanese residential price index went from 4,100 in mid-1970s. Then by 1980s, it was at 5,800, so a little bit higher. But by 1989, just nine years later, it was at Mm 20,600. And if you remember, some of us of a certain age, 
remember the stories about how, um, you know, a condo in Tokyo was worth like 10 times that in Manhattan. And you had, you know, people who were banding together with families to buy property there before the stock market and the real estate market in Japan basically collapsed and has not come back. It's like still not that good over there decades later. Um, But he talks about some of the things we were just alluding to here. The Bank of Japan did lower the interest rates in the 1980s. They were being pressured by the G7. And they also, their central bank did not see any uh, consumer inflation either, other than in some of these um, assets, but some of the conditions, it was making me a little eerie reading like some of that because some of the people on Twitter who are saying that stocks are a bubble have been insinuating that real estate in the United States is also a bubble, which I dispute right now, just because some areas are at unaffordable levels, record highs, like the coasts, some coastal areas, but we're actually seeing prices falling in New York. Yeah. Um, Manhattan, I just saw a Bloomberg article that said six years of new condos are available. Like in Manhattan, that's how long it will take to sell all of them. So that that's not bubblicious there. That means the prices are going to decline there. Seattle prices have been coming down. Chicago, we've yeah, seen you know, it. I, I think that we learned a lot from the last crisis. I mean, And when I say we, it, you know, there's a lot of players. But, yeah. but take your average... Um, home flipper, right? Right. Home flippers either did really well in the 2003 to 2007 yeah. uh, blow off top, or they did really poorly. But both groups learned something, right? And, right. And they're not repeating their right. mistakes, right? right? We have not seen in real estate the level of speculation that exactly. would be yeah. consistent. Speculation with, is a key word there, yeah. Yeah, and that's what Kindleberger talks a lot about when you when everybody starts wanting to be in that asset. That is what gets me nervous, but I'm not really seeing that with stocks. Like I've been watching the fund flows mm-hmm. and they're flowing out in December. They were taking the mom and pop investors were taking money out. Now, some on Twitter have argued with me that that's because the baby boomers have to sell. Now they have the biggest accounts they're selling mm-hmm. either because of required minimum distribution requirements or because they are nervous that this could be the peak and they want to get into cash to preserve their retirement funds. Mm-hmm. Now I, I don't, uh, argue against that necessarily, but we now have a huge generation of millennial investors who should be getting in. And I still feel it's bullish if they're all selling at what they think is the peak because no one ever gets that right. And that means there's less speculation because even if I'm near retirement or in retirement, I'm still going to get greedy mm-hmm. if if there's a bubble going on. I just am. I, I think I've got a great lesson for anybody who's, you know, really scratching their head about this, you know, okay. is this a stock market bubble? Let me make one last point about the Fed, and then I won't talk about the Fed anymore. Because you mentioned Japan, you were talking yeah. about Kindleberger's uh, recapping the 1980s to 90s bull yeah. run in Japan. How you know that definitely became a bubble. You know, real estate, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then what has their economy done since it? has been stuck in a quagmire of what we call deflation. Yeah. And that's one thing that Bernanke was an expert on. He studied the 1930s depression in the U.S., and then he studied the Japan deflationary spiral, and he realized that as long as the 
our economy could couldn't really get up and produce GDP of three percent or higher consistently. Um, it was. I don't want to say it was on life support, but for a while there, it seemed like it. You know, from 2011 to yeah, from to 2016, the it, muddle through. Years. Yeah, they they were keeping the interest rates low to to make that work. So, all right, that's the last thing in the Fed. All right, now let's let's talk about um, what's going on in this market and why why it just pushed higher here yeah. and why it will continue to do so. Um, it has to do with the way professional fund managers look at their job. And um, and I I sort of outlined this ten years ago before I came to work at Zach's. Um, I was working in another firm here in Chicago, and I wrote an article called Five Secrets of Wall Street." If you okay. just Google, I, I just googled it on this computer. This uh, the number five secrets of Wall Street, and it was my article from 2013. I rewrote it, published it here at Zach's. Was the top result? And my number one secret is they have to buy. And okay. what that means is that if you are a fund manager, whether you work at Fidelity or you, you know, you're just managing 500 million and you have some charter and you're a registered investment advisor, your job is to buy stocks, especially if that's what your charter says. You know, yeah. if, if you, I don't go short, um, I don't buy bonds for you, I just pick stocks, then that's your job. And money's coming in. What do you have to do with that money? You have to go out and buy stocks, no matter what's going on. And yeah, you're going to worry about when's the next recession, when's the next correction. But the corrections are actually big opportunities for those people because it's like, oh, man, now I can get in these stocks. All right. So I'm going to tell you something that um, – so so that's the, that's, the, the, that's the number one secret of Wall Street, and that will last forever, I think. I mean, it's not going away. It's, um, now let me tell you something shorter term that just happened in the market. What what was the big worry last year in 2019? What was the worry of all worries that we're constantly talking about every day? The trade war, right? Right. It was, you know. I almost forgot. This news headline, that <laughs> news headline. And all year I said, you know what? No matter. There, we're not going to get a trade deal done because China is kind of in the driver's seat here. And they've got a much longer term view. You know, they're looking out. 10 years, and they're not just going to surrender on the intellectual property issues. So this this going back and forth, China will go back and forth, but they're not, they're not in a hurry to deal. And we finally started to get some real evidence of that. And I'm looking back at my um, – I run a short-term trading portfolio here called Taser, and I'm looking back at my commentary from October when we started to get all this evidence. And on October 1st, uh, I titled a piece, What is China's Urgent Incentive to Deal? And the answer was, they have no urgent incentive to deal. Um, and then a few days later, um, let's see, I wrote a piece. Oh, let's see if I they did it. need, however, pork and a few yeah, other a things. a few things, which, which they could figure out. Which they just got then in this phase one deal. On October 7th, I wrote, China just moved the goalposts. And what I meant is um, the vice premier who was supposed to lead negotiations for China, he told dignitaries that his offer to the U.S. will not include commitments on reforming Chinese industrial policy or government subsidies. And this was according to right. Bloomberg. Which basically is like, we're not going to do the IP stuff now. You're not right. going to get into our government and our policy. You know, it's just not going to happen. Um, and then, so I said China moved the goalposts there. Oh, and then and then on the very next day, I said the trade peace, which is what I called you know the end of the trade war, a trade deal is trade peace. I said that probability just dropped from twenty five percent 
down to 10%. And the news there, I think, was that um, – I think it was the the Chinese delegation was here, and then they turned around and went home. Right. Oh, oh, and it was also the human rights thing. We found out about this Muslim pop- population in northern China. Well, we didn't find out about it. We knew about it. But the U- the White House was actually going to take a stand on it, which I thought was very admirable, that we should take a stand yeah. on that refugee population. But they haven't. Well – well, we, I mean, the, I mean, the U.S. The U.S. said we would, and and to me, that was going to be another um, non-starter because you're okay. not, because even though the U.S. should take a stand on that, but isn't all ch- of this? It's all a non-starter now, isn't it? Um, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So, okay, so here's what happened to me with all this confirmed that the trade war was never going to result in trade peace in October. Okay. Um, the, the market had just told you in August, the S&P went down to 2850. We had a nice little correction down to S&P 2850. And, and then the market just soared again and almost got it back up to S&P 3000, right? And it was like, it was, the investors were telling you, we don't care about the trade war. Right. Our job is to buy stocks and we're buying stocks looking out two, three, four years because we see no recession and the Fed is on our side. That's how professional investors think. So then in October... We come back down and sort of test that 2850 level. And I didn't follow my game plan. My game plan was to be buying stocks like NVIDIA, Apple, and Microsoft. And I didn't do it. And those stocks are all higher. And and the reason they're higher is because the professional investors did their job, most of them, right? Uh, but a lot of people would argue, well, when they talk about a, bull, uh, a bubble market, um, a lot of them would argue maybe that it's a bubble in only these growth stock names. And so why are they only pouring back into those names? Well, first of all, I mean, that, that's all they can do. They can't go by the small caps, right? If you're, well, right, but if there's you're, big cap value and they're not diving into that um, that's for a good, the most part. That's a good point. And, and maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a bit of we want to have the best names, is in, everybody in chasing though? Is everybody no, I think you know so, following for sure. the herd? For and... sure. I'm not going to buy Apple at 300 right here. I'm not going to buy Microsoft at 160. Who is? I'm not going to buy Nvidia. But at people are. That's yes. the crazy well, thing. Well, some people are sure. Yeah. And you know what? An investor um, who has a five year horizon, and I mean, let's say you got a guy uh, like Ron Barron who manages five to 10 billion, and he's a big Tesla bull. He always said Tesla was gonna go to 1,000. He's finally getting his due, but he might be nibbling on NVIDIA and Microsoft and Apple because he's got a five-year view. He's you know he's got investors that trust him to look out for the long term. He's not worried about the trade. He's, he's like, you know, and especially if, right. he, if he was, accumu- if you were already accumulating NVIDIA at 150 when you could, or Microsoft at 110, which I said I was going to buy and didn't, and then the and then these not only did the whole market start creeping up in November December, just like a, it wasn't like a Q4 ramp up rally that you, you could just jump on board the momentum. It was just up a little bit every day, you know, up a half a percent, you know, right? And, and it and it sort of got away from investors, right? And now the professional investors who job whose job it is to buy stocks, right? Who didn't guess where they're stuck. So they're buying too. They're the ones who didn't buy and 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 held on to twenty or thirty percent cash, and and you know closed uh, twenty nineteen with not enough growth stocks in their portfolio. They're the ones forced to be buying now too. Well, and 
on that note, I did take a look at what the valuations are on some of the hotter growth stock names. So Facebook, among the cheaper ones, trading at 23 times now. Apple is at 22 times. That's its high in a, a long time. I want to say is almost a decade is that forward. forward. These wow. are all forward. Wow. Netflix is at 61. That's actually a little cheap for the Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Google slash Alphabet is at 25. Amazon is at 72. That's also a little cheap for where Amazon has been in the past. Microsoft, 29 times. Visa is at 30 times now. MasterCard's at 33. Shake Shack, one of the popular restaurant growth names, 101 times. Chipotle with its new menu and good fundamentals, but 48 times. Times Lululemon, one of the top retailers, 48 times. So if you're these money managers who have to buy stocks, as you said, um, they're buying very expensive levels, really, realistically. So where does that leave us? Is is that bubble behavior? Is that like a nifty 50 2.0? I mean, it's, it's not 1999 all over again, well, right? No, no, not yet. But could this lead <laughs> to, it, as more money chases these high names, I don't know, that's the question I keep getting asked. Like, And when you see a pullback in these names, how bad is that pullback going to be? Does anyone foresee, you know, a 10% well, correction in some of these after I, this I run? don't. So okay. I, I did a thing this week, uh, or last week rather, when um, when I said, okay, the market is overbought. And one of my measures of, of overbought is how far away an index is from its 50-day moving average. Because what that tells you about is momentum. So when the 50-day moving average is almost going at a 45-degree angle, and so is price, and then the index gets over 5% above that 50-day moving average, the market is getting overextended. We okay. saw this in January of 2018. Um, the, the, the NASDAQ can go to 7% over, but when the S&P gets to 5% over, it's, you know, so we, the market either has to go sideways to work that off or it has to correct. Now, my call was for um, uh, a 3 to 6% pullback which would take us down to like S&P 3050. And there's a lot of levels between 3150 and 3050 that I would I would begin to buy. I wouldn't just wait for the S&P to go down to S&P 3000 because it may not. So I'd be buying on the way down. I'd be buying some stocks. I'd be buying some ETFs. Um, and I said, worst case scenario, we see a 7 to 9% correction if like Middle East conflict heats up, right? Okay. And that takes you down to... Um, through S&P 3000 to S&P 2950, where S&P 2950, those were the old peaks. There'll be a lot of support there. But the thing is, is for fund managers who are already underexposed to stocks, they'll be buying. I mean, look what happened. We had a little bit of flare-up with the Iran situation. The market dips in the morning, and they've already bought it up. Yeah, you know, and it's, it was like nothing yeah, happened. And, and that's what, even if we get a scare, let's let's say there's some event, some sort of little shock we didn't expect. Um, it could be military action. It could be a negative development on the trade front. It could be, a, um, I mean, we've got earnings season coming up. Yeah. Somebody could, earnings, we could get an earnings warning. I mean, you got semiconductors who totally um, had their cycle trough and have made new highs, even though the earnings haven't recovered. Right. So that, we've talked about that before. But let's say we get some kind of shock. You could have a... Um, a two to three percent, couple of days down, and then that's going to create more selling. But you're going to see fund managers buying stocks under you know anywhere near S and P thirty one hundred. So, okay. 
and like we haven't had a true dip yet. So yeah, we're due for a this market to work off being overbought. And I would love for it to go to S&P 3000. It means because people will be selling, you know, taking profits and getting out of stuff that they bought. They just they just bought, like we said, app, they bought Apple at 300, they bought Microsoft at 160, and they yeah. bought NVIDIA at 240. And now they got to they got to sell because they're down 10%. Um, that'll be a great place to buy again, because I still think we rally throughout the first half. Okay. So you believe in buying the dips. Oh, totally. For sure. Totally. Okay. Uh, until that strategy still works until summer. Yeah. Until, okay. until July, August, um, and the election takes center stage. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there any area where you're looking to buy now before we get some kind of pullback? Okay. So I'm just looking at Apple. I wanted to check you on that that 22 times forward because yeah. I didn't believe it. I mean, I believe, you know, but I mean, that's what our site says, but yeah. that, that's sort of a blend because their fiscal year, you know, so if, if we look out to, you know, so Apple's fiscal year ends in September of this year, that's you know, right. um, you know, so, uh, but if you look out to 2021, the consensus is 15 bucks. But that's but that is twenty times. I mean, okay. it's it's not yeah. cheap. No, um, no, not at all. And and yeah, so they've really run Apple up because it's safe, it's predictable, right? You, know. you get a dividend. Yeah. What about that uh, analyst rumor news? I guess it's not really news, but analyst prediction that Alphabet may may join the dividend side soon. Oh, um, I mean. It hit new Boy, highs on the news. <laughs> is that like uh, they, they're retiring and hanging up their cleats from being a growth stock? <laughs> well, right. That's what it means, right, normally. But, I mean, here you have Microsoft, who's been paying a dividend for well over a decade. And it's looking pretty growthy here, suddenly. Yeah, so yeah. if it doesn't hurt them, maybe it doesn't hurt anybody else. I mean, in terms of technology, it's like th these are the safe bets um, that you know that these companies, well, they're, they're cash machines. They can innovate. They don't have to go buy anybody because they can. They'd rather take a two billion dollars and build something in house than go out and spend ten billion to buy a company. So, um, and they're not trading at ten to fifteen times sales, which all the software stocks are. So that's why Apple and and Microsoft have sort of this. They're magnets for capital um, because of that profile. Are you still on the sidelines with the software? No, I'm not on the sidelines. I okay. I own. I, <laughs> in fact, I was looking yesterday. I felt a little full to the gills again. Okay, but software is making new highs. The the IGV, which is the um, ETF that tracks, and of course, so uh, uh, Microsoft, Salesforce, and Adobe will be some of the heavy weights there, uh, making new highs today. Okay. So, uh, but I still own a lot of software. And those got a little bubblicious yeah, there for a little it's, while. It's like, and I'm trying to pick the mid caps that I think can. You know, basically double. You know, go from five billion to a ten billion dollar company. But you know, a lot of them are trading at ten to fifteen times sales, so it gets tricky. Um, I actually got back back into Square today. Okay, it was so funny. I was wow. gonna I was gonna ask you the other day. Danny's was, nodding. I've been tell I've been telling you that I wanted to buy Square, and I and the other day I didn't do this, but I was gonna lean over and go, Tracy, please talk me out of buying Square because <laughs> the, the the chart and the price action looked like crap. But, yeah. I, but I was thinking somebody's going to upgrade them, and we're going to finally break out of this lull and get back into the 70s. And today, uh, Bank of America Merrill Lynch upgraded them okay. to a buy, only a $75 price target. Okay. And I'm just going to do it for a quick trade. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, I, I've liked the company because I like the ecosystem model, and I thought they could capture all these small businesses in their ecosystem the same way that Apple does yeah. in, in that. 
Um, but I guess there's so much competition. You know, it, in the age of software, people can just, you know, new companies can just copy what Square does to, you know, provide services for small business. And, you know, it's it's the SaaS world. So um, okay. maybe, you know, maybe Square wins, maybe they don't. But yeah, you talked about valuations like uh, MasterCard and Visa. Those aren't yeah. cheap. You no. Know? And, and Square is only it's trading. Not just tech. Square is only trading at five times sales, and it's growing at twenty percent. So to me, that kind of made it a. It's still, it's not value, but it's still growth. Yeah. Okay. Um, speaking of, you know, trying to pick the individual winners, if you feel like that is too difficult to do, other than these big cap names I just listed, because everybody's diving into those, and those seem to you know, still be working. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you feel like you, you just can't do it to pick the winners, like you just did with, you know, or you're trying to with square, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, should they just be buying one of the ETFs? Like even the general XLK, the tech ETF that's at new highs. But again, as, as you and I both know, when we have friends or family ask us what to do, you know, we, we, the first thing we think of is what is your time frame? Right. You know, right. What is this money for? Is this five-year money? Is this twenty-year money? If it's yeah. if it's five to ten-year money, yes, you can yeah. you can buy ETFs now. If you need this money in a year, eh, yeah, don't 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 buy the market here because then you're going to have all this anxiety when it goes down. You know, when you're okay. if if you if there is a ten percent correction, um, and you know, you know, you're going to feel like wow, I'm losing money, but but long term, um. You know, everybody wants to predict the next recession, and who knows this right. this this cycle could could wow us all. Really, yeah. That ISM for services wasn't showing any recession no. in there at fifty five. Yeah. No. And and maybe the um you know maybe we're in this time because of the way the we we're in this slow growth, right? And, and uh, um Kevin Matris, our our executive vice president here, um one of the things he pointed out well over five years ago was that it, he didn't use the word Goldilocks. He just, you know, where it's like not too hot, not too cold. He kind of he sort of spun it another way where he said, yeah, if the, if the economy just grows at this 2% level, um, you, you sort of escape the boom-bust cycle. You're not, you know, you're not booming to 4%. Yeah. 4 and then having every, you know, uh, when I say everybody you rush in. You don't overheat. Yeah, you're not having corporate investment all of a sudden, capital expenditures, you know, right. just surge, and then you know, yeah. and then we got to you know the cycle's got to come down exactly. Yeah, um, we've avoided that. Yeah, and you know that could keep going for a while. Okay, a stock that I want to talk about as one that people might want to take a look at in the tech area if they're a little scared of valuation is Sony ticker S N E. I own it in the value investor and we've owned it for quite a while now. I want to say at least a year and a half, maybe even two years now. And it's only now breaking out to new highs, but it's breaking out again in 2020 because they got a couple good things going on now that the street is finally um, taking notice of. And one of those is PlayStation 5 is due to come out. So that's going to be a big driver. But also just today at the CES, they announced a new concept car, electric concept car, which nobody even knew they were doing. 
And I'm kind of excited to see what the Sony engineers, given their history of great yeah. product development, might be developing along these lines. So Sony's getting a boost off of that. It's only trading at 17 times forward earnings. So it's more expensive than it has been um, a couple months ago, but 17 times sounds positively cheap compared to <laughs> a lot of these other ones we've been talking about. So you might want to take a look at Sony right, and if you, you're interested in the and, tech side. And you can't say that all value isn't working because you know right? you, you picked some relative value there, right? Yeah. Oh, Re yeah. Relative to other tech conglomerates, Sony was well, cheap. And well, and when we bought it, it was at like 11 or 12 times earnings okay, or something. Yeah. So, so fit the criteria. Oh, yeah. And it, and your patience has paid off. Now, how long ago yes. did you buy it? It's at least a year and a half. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so yeah. so that took that took patience. And with oh, any, sure. any kind of investing, like uh, I run a, a long-term portfolio here in healthcare, and I've had stocks double and then I hung on to them. They've come, you know, way back oh, down. No. But, you, you know, you stay with them. Yeah. And then other times your patience... You know your patience wears thin. Vertex. Right. I I I owned Vertex for two years while it went sideways. Okay. And then you then know you in, sold it and it went up. Exactly in November. Then, That's always then how it, it is. And it goes up thirty <laughs> percent. <laughs> yeah, I always get a little scared when I like change something I've been doing for a couple of years because I know that it's I'm timing it wrong. Yeah. Because you do throw in the towel. Yeah, you got to go back to your criteria. Yeah. What, what was my reason for buying? And what would be my reason to sell? Well, don't sell just because it, you know, it's underperformed and it's being unloved. Right. Obviously, right. Sony. I remember looking at Sony a couple of years ago too. Nobody liked it. Nobody. And then if you weren't paying attention this summer, it just slowly started to creep up from fifty, and now it's yeah. breaking out to seventy. Yeah. So okay, we've covered a lot today. And I feel like, have we answered the question? I feel like it's just a bull and it's not a bubble. Not yet. Definitely not a bubble. We, okay. can't, we can't compare this to 99. Yeah. We can't compare it to the systemic crisis we had in 07. Yeah, in, no. There's no systemic issues in the economy. Right. Um, will there be one with all this money floating around? Yeah, yeah. but maybe that doesn't... A couple uh, years. Yeah, we don't that, know. That could be... Uh, yeah, a couple of years away. Yeah. So right now, um, you know, you want to have a watch list. You know, yeah. that's that that was the mistake I made is I had like good I, I I call it my buy list. This is what I give my subscribers. I give them a top ten buy list every week. And a lot of things I just didn't pull the trigger on. Yeah. You know, like like yeah. I, it's a trading portfolio, so I don't have to be an Apple or Microsoft, whereas big fund managers do. Right. But I really wanted to be an NVIDIA. And I got another chance in October to buy at one fifty and I I totally blinked. And, okay. you know, so that's the kind of things you got to think, you know, what are you trying to accomplish and what's on your buy list? What are your rules? And, you know, where are you going? Yeah. And then have the conviction. Exactly. I guess, yeah. You got to follow through on the yeah. plan and yeah. then stick with it. Yeah. Okay. So hopefully I won't have to get out the Kindleberger book again for another two years. Let's hope that's what right, happens. Right. We're doing want, two, do, every two years here. I do not want to see that book for two years. <laughs> um, and let's uh, recap some of the stocks we talked about. Okay. So there was Sony, SNE. We talked about Square, SQ, NVIDIA, NVDA. Um, if you want to own just the whole ETF, you can do the tech ETF XLK, and then you mentioned another tech ETF, right? Oh, IGV, ju just for software. Oh, that's just the software yeah. side. Okay, but some people might yeah. want to just get in on that more niche area. Yeah, and the, and the QQQs. I mean, you, oh, yeah. you get a you get a a broader mix because you're getting all the tech, you're getting some retail uh, like Lulu, and you also get some industrials like Fastenal. So yeah, just you know that's a. I mean, 
you know, we talk about advising our friends and family. Like when I when I advised my son when he first started putting money away, um, and then some other people, I'm like, God, if you're if this is money you don't want to see for ten years and you want to let it grow, yeah, you're buying stocks. Yeah. Um, and then we mentioned all of the various fangy type names, but I think everybody already knows the tickers for the fang, right? Don't they? So I'll cover Visa. Visa is V. MasterCard is M-A, if you're not familiar. Shake Shack is S-H-A-K, Chipotle, C-M-G, and Lululemon is L-U-L-U. So yeah, um, we'll, we'll be covering this all year and we'll see if Kevin's prediction of you know wanting to or um seeing the bull continue here in the first six months holds up Um, (laughs) (laughs) i hope so uh because it's fun right bulls are fun um but you want to subscribe to all of our podcasts so you don't miss a single episode i know a lot of people have been looking around for investing podcasts here to start in 2020 well we're here and we have over four years of old episodes if you subscribe you'll get the new ones that are coming in but you want to check out all of our huge catalog you can even find the 2017 episode where we first talk about kindleberger's book yeah if you go to uh, zax.com forward slash podcast yeah you can find them there you can you can see the shows and then if you click on an individual show like tracy's market edge you will be taken to an archive page and then you can scroll through the titles yeah and and see what catches your catches your eye because we're not just talking about a trade for that week or a, or an right. investment for that year we're, we're talking about um long duration long tail themes yeah that will be true in this bull market and the next one yeah and you might want to check out some of those episodes that kevin and i have done on how to p- plan for the next recession with your stock portfolio. We've gone over like how to create your own strategy and have a plan that fits your investing goals. So you might want to check out those just in case, even though we're not predicting it for the at least the next six months here, but you never know what's going to happen in the stock market. And you want to have a plan for corrections too. If all yes. of a sudden we get the the you know market is down two to four percent in a matter of two or three days, it it'll if we've come off a peak, it'll probably go lower, and you don't panic. You want to right. be you want to be a buyer for the people that are selling stocks. Yeah. And you want to know what you want to buy, and you want to you know pick some levels, and, get some bargains in yeah. there. Um, and if you want to subscribe, just on some of the podcasting platforms, we are on SoundCloud. That's our main hub over there. You can subscribe there, but also of course on Apple Podcasts. And we're on Spotify, but be sure to get us on one of the platforms somewhere. And I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.